0: Welcome to the Reality Taboo podcast where no topic is off limits. I'm your co-host Jeff and joining me is my co-host Ness. It's December 30th, 2023. Today we're discussing Texit, the movement for Texas to secede from the United States. Before we get started, please remember to like, subscribe and share. Before we
1: get into our main topic, in Maine this week, the Secretary of State took Trump off the ballot. So, man, what a escalation we had in a week. week ago we were talking about how Colorado had removed him from the ballot there and how that could have some effect on national popular vote totals but that ultimately wouldn't directly affect the electoral college outcome but now a week later in Maine we have a state where Trump won an electoral vote and now if this stands he is going to be one electoral vote down and we're only going to see escalation from here.
0: Because Maine is one of two states, along with Nebraska, right, where they have split, where it's not an all-or-nothing system.
1: Yeah, and the the district that Trump won, he won comfortably at 10, 12 points or something like that. So this year, with the national vote shifting in Trump's favor from 2020, or this this election cycle compared to 2020, he's going to win that district by 15, 20 points probably, unless he
0: is not allowed on the ballot in the first place. And I haven't done a deep dive into the the, um, the main case, but it looks like the main secretary of state unilaterally took this step to, to kick Trump off the ballot rather than let the, a private citizen or a private group bring a case and it work its way through the court system. Although she did mention that she is going to stay the ruling until the main courts hear the case. So all this to me just makes it... Uh, clear that this is tailor-made for the United States Supreme Court to issue a definitive, hopefully definitive, ruling on this. And um, I do think if if the main or if the U.S. Supreme Court issues a definitive ruling saying that um, Trump has to be allowed on the ballot in the 50 states, I think that to that will stop, or the efforts to, kick him, to keep him off the ballot will stop. I think the system is sturdy enough for now to where if a Supreme Court makes an unequivocal decision, it will be respected by the states.
1: Well, there's a way for the system to maintain the facade of legitimacy while still stripping from the ballot, and I think that that is by having the three justices that Trump appointed recuse themselves, saying that they are not able to render an impartial judgment given the fact that their lifetime appointments were were made by Trump. So Barrett and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, who probably all three of them would be happy to have Trump not on the ballot will now be able to have a pretense for why they are not ruling, and then you get a split ruling. And in the case of a split ruling, the the Supreme Court would defer to the lower court's ruling, which would be to strip Trump from the ballot. So from Colorado to Maine to Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, a whole host of states, all of which Republicans are going to have to sweep if they are going to have any chance of winning the presidency in the future if they lose Texas segues us perfectly into our main topic today, which is going to be the question of political dissolution generally, and more specifically, the Texas Independence Movement, or TEXIT for short.
0: There's a group in Texas called the uh, Texas Nationalist Movement, and they've been organizing a campaign to get uh, enough signatures on a petition to get a ballot question and to be uh, on the ballot in the GOP primary election in March 2024. And so the text of the ballot question that they are trying to get on the ballot is, quote, the state of Texas should reassert its status as an independent nation, for or against. And when we started do first a few days ago, started doing the show prep, for this episode, we maybe naively assumed that this question was going to get on the ballot, that there was not going to be much of, uh, that there were going to be enough signatures and there would be no issue.
1: When you think you're too cynical, you're reminded quickly when you follow American late stage empire politics that you're actually not being cynical enough. The the ballot required something like 97,000 signatures and the Texas nationalist movement said that they had 139,000, but now the Texas GOP is looking to throw the question off the ballot because 130,000, it was 139,000, were electronically garnered and they're arguing that they had to be handwritten or something, whatever the pretense is, to have the question that they do not want put
0: in front of primary voters kept from being put in front of primary voters. I'm looking at this letter dated December 27th, so just a few days ago, um, written by the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. Basically, uh, a, an open letter saying why this ballot uh, question will not be put uh, in front of voters. Primarily because they were uh, the, the the group was one day late in submitting the signatures, and that most of the signatures were. Invalid because according to the state GOP uh, chairman, these signatures cannot be electronic, and most of them were electronic. And another, uh, what I noticed in the letter too, is they cite the Texas election code um, to get, basically to keep this question off the ballot. And that just reminded me again of last week's episode where a big part of uh, Colorado kicking Trump off the ballot was the Colorado election code. So election codes are uh, having a big impact this season, apparently. So that question won't be on the ballot, but there are uh, s- other, several other questions that have already been confirmed will be on the ballot. I'm looking at the 2024 Rep- uh, Texas Republican primary ballot propositions. These are So these are questions or ballot propositions that have already been approved. And so some of them um, are the Texas legislature should require the use of E-Verify by all employers in Texas to protect jobs for legal workers by preventing the hiring of illegal aliens. Uh, There's one that prevents uh, in-state college tuition for illegal aliens. Um, There's anti-amnesty, anti-pathway to legalization for illegal aliens, things like that. Um, So Ness, why do you think questions like that um, seem to... Be no issue for the state, the Texas state GOP, but secession is one that they'll pull out all the stops to stop. Because all of those are
1: safe partisan issues that the establishment wants people fighting over, wants the ostensible left and right to argue about, because there'll be no consequences and nothing will change. This is the same sort of thing that the Republican Party's been talking about for decades and decades, and nothing ever gets done about it. To the contrary, this. Galvanizes Democrats to to vote against Republicans and it keeps the whole party machine going. Everybody knows who has any familiarity with the political system the cultural uh, cultural landscape that uh, how they're supposed to feel about those issues contingent upon whether or not they're Republicans or Democrats on the left or the right something like political dissolution is something that the system doesn't want to give any salience to because there is the potential for a broad coalition across partisan ideological lines for self-determination. It's something that echoes through the history of the United States going back all the way prior to the founding and it was the justification for the founding of the country in the first place. Texas is especially unique in this regard because Texas was first part of Mexico and seceded from Mexico in 1836 and was its own independent country for a decade and in its constitution maintained its right to re-establish itself as an independent country.
0: So let's talk briefly about a history of secession in the United States. Um, starting with the foundation of the country, the 13 original colonies entered a voluntary union, uh, first with the... Uh, well, before the Revolutionary War, then of course the Declaration of Independence, and the few years when uh, the U.S. had the Articles of Confederation on to the late 1780s when the U.S. Constitution was approved. Um, It was very clear, at least to me, um, that just as the states voluntarily chose as sovereign entities to enter into a union or a voluntary confederacy, they have just as much right to exit it when it no longer benefits them. And I think that is supported by the Tenth Amendment itself.
1: Yeah, the Constitution recognizes this. It's manifest in the Tenth Amendment, which explicitly reserves all powers not delegated expressly to the federal government, to the states and the people of those states. And so those sovereign states that came together to form the Federation can then disband it
0: at any time. And this is we're not going to get into the weeds on this topic, but I find this fascinating. If you are interested, uh, check out John C. Calhoun's uh, writings on this. They're um, fascinating bit of history. Um, and one other thing, I, I think that the, the big inflection point as far as secession goes is obviously the Civil War in the 1860s. So I think the um, the mainstream establishment history is that maybe there was a question of secession between 1776 and 1865, but the Civil War settled. That issue, and so um, on the eve of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was argue- arguing that states were not sovereign before the Constitution, but instead they are—they uh, were created by the Constitution. So reversing the the cause and effect, so to speak. Um, and then after the Civil War, there was a uh, United States Supreme Court case in 1869, Texas versus White, that said that Texas never left the union uh, during the civil war because texas was a was part of the confederacy but they invalidated that opinion uh, that that so texas was never officially uh not part of the united states and a state can't unilaterally secede and one other uh thing i saw was uh surprisingly to me maybe maybe it shouldn't be but in 2006 supreme court justice antonin scalia said quote if there was any constitutional issue resolved by the Civil War, it is that there is no right to secede.
1: Yeah, stepping in, you, we're stepping into the, the frame of the enemy there by even calling it a Civil War. It, a Civil War implies that there's some fighting to figure out who's going to be at the helm of the entire country. That's not what the... the a Revolutionary War was not a Civil War. It was a war of political dissolution of secession, of independence, of freedom, and the Civil War should be viewed in the same context, so, and the quote-unquote Civil War was four decades removed from the first real uh, prospect of secession within the newly formed United States in in the run-up to the 1812 War when Massachusetts and other New England states threatened to secede from the Union over that conflict with Great Britain. And we need to stop talking about the idea that violence is what settles the question. <laughs> in what other instance do we permit that to be what decides what outcome is just or not? So if uh, reserve, American Indian Reservation, so that's a just uh, just outcome because manifest destiny settled that in the, the 19th century is settlers pushed from the eastern seaboard through the midwest all the way to the west coast Right by that logic then the it, it is effectively the logic of might makes right that violence is golden and that's how we settle disputes which I suppose that is a legitimate criticism of what the American empire does now I wasn't aware of the late Scalia saying that but I appreciate you bringing that up and I, I appreciate the candor it's nice when it's
0: laid bare like that the only one I think who might be okay on secession would be, would be um, Thomas, but I can't imagine any of the other eight justices going for any sort of secession. Let's talk about this Survey USA poll from, when was this poll taken?
1: Uh, last year. The poll shows that if the Texas GOP is defeated and the proposition is put in front of voters in March of 2024, that it's going to pass... Survey USA is the one who conducted the poll. It's a very reliable polling operation. And they, they found that 58% of Republicans are in support of Texas declaring its independence from the United States of America. Only 25% in opposition. Among independents, it's 32% support, 36% oppose. And among Democrats, it's 37% support, 48% opposition.
0: And that's all Texas residents, right?
1: Yes, Texas voters. It is interesting to note the large percentage. So the the residuals in these figures that we're bringing up are uh, unsure responses. And so I, I don't want to oversell it here. Those unsure responses. This is an issue. So the other uh, issues that we, you talked about that are on this primary ballot that are standard issue cultural signifiers for the Republican Party that are going to pass will pass overwhelmingly. These unsure responses from the poll results, most of those are going to end up being in opposition because this is an issue, like those other issues have salience, like we said, they're standard issues. This is something that hasn't had as much discussion and so uh, that broad swath of the population that's looking to be told how they're supposed to, based on status, indicators and what their partisan affiliation is. They're figuring out how they're supposed to come down on this issue. They haven't heard about it, so they don't know yet. But generally what happens is when people who are unsure, not sure on an issue that they're unfamiliar with, once the powers that be start talking about it and that opposition is going to be unified against this, most of those unsures will end up breaking in opposition, but still among Republican Voters, there's going to be a majority, and among independents and Democrats, while there might not be a majority or even a plurality, there will still be a significant amount of bipartisan support for political dissolution.
0: So, this isn't a, an issue that splits down partisan lines in terms of supporting or opposing secession, right? No, this is something that
1: is potentially beneficial for everyone to be able to have self-determination.
0: The fact that support for secession is um, at least somewhat diverse in terms of race, age, uh, partisan affiliation uh, makes it seem that different Texans would have different reasons for seceding. So a a white liberal woman living in Austin, if she supports secession, it's probably for a a much different reason than, than a rancher in the panhandle of Texas. On that note, what was the racial breakdown regarding supporting and opposing secession in Texas? We'll get through some of the demographic uh, categories. So
1: whites were in support, 48%. Opposed, 33%. Among blacks, it was 29% in support, 46% in opposition. Among Hispanics, 36% support, 34% opposition. And among Asians, 38% support to 40% opposition. By age, this is something that that boomers are less supportive of. It's, uh, I like to think, an idea whose time has come. So, for those under the age of 50, there's 47% support to just 32% opposition, while among those who are 50 years and older, it's only 34% support to 40% opposition. Interestingly, based on this poll result, there is quite literally no difference by sex. Men and women are equally supportive of secession. In Texas, then, we see that that whites are most supportive. Uh, Hispanic, Asians, mixed. Blacks a little less supportive, but still 29% in support is much higher percentage of support than you're ever going to get among blacks voting for a Republican candidate. Um, An interesting aside, so this survey by SurveyUSA was conducted in seven different states. They're all red southern states. Texas was the most supportive overall. The uh, other red southern states were were less supportive. There was one blue state, Hawaii, that was surveyed. And interestingly in Hawaii, the native Hawaiian islanders were the most supportive at 42% with only 36% opposition. So this, I I think, gives some indication of the bipartisan uh, attraction to the idea of self-determination. Hawaiians don't want to be ruled by Texans any more than Texans want to be ruled by Hawaiians.
0: And is this widespread support for secession part of the danger, you think, that it poses to the establishment forces?
1: Yeah, an empire can't run. The empire runs on forced unification, political, cultural, economic,
0: military, uh, monetary. And especially with Texas. Um Texas has a population of 30 million. That is the second most populous state after California. It in geography, it's geographically the largest state, uh, second largest state. Just yeah, largest before. contiguous state by far alaska's bigger but um, obviously way less population and um, if texas were an independent country it would have the 10th largest economy in the world by gdp which is bigger than canada's gdp um, and it has uh, economic variety to it It as tech in austin agriculture tourism energy production deep water ports so combined with that history already built in support for the idea of Texas being an independent country, I've talked to people from Texas, it really is still an everyday uh, feeling that people have that Texas really, it, while it's obviously part of the US, it, it's its own thing. And so I think combined with its GDP population size and built in um, affinity for secession, it really is, you can see why it's such a dangerous idea.
1: Yeah, it's the thing that will get political dissolution. It's the state most likely to get political dissolution going. But the uh, immediate political ramifications are obvious for why, if Texas goes, then other red states are going to want to follow. Because without Texas, any sort of Republican control at the national level becomes almost infeasible without, like we had alluded to earlier, without
0: a complete sweeping of the upper Midwest by Republicans. Texas has 40 electoral votes, which is the second most, uh, second only to California, which has 54 electoral votes. So Ness, I take it you're in favor of Texas seceding from the United States? Of course, it's an idea that's as
1: American as apple pie. It is the definition of American conservatism. My question is, where does the opposition come from? If you're opposed to political dissolution, Why?
0: Um, well, I, I, let's uh, address some potential issues with it. How would the debt work? How would the U.S. national debt work? How would that be handled?
1: Probably based on per capita proportionality. I can't determine exactly how it would work itself out. It would have to be worked out. Uh, if if I'm dictator of Texas and I'm apportioned my per capita percentage of the national debt, then the first thing I'm doing when Texas becomes an independent country is I'm repudiating the debt because it's not debt that was legitimately accrued, and that's what's gonna happen anyway to the national to to the debt nationally. It's a default is inevitable. These hundred billion dollar trade deficits that the United States runs month after month, and we're talking three billion dollars on average every single day of things come in to the United States beyond the physical things that are exported outside of the United states, and that's that entire the entire American standard of living is contingent upon the value of the u s dollar and when the value of the u s dollar breaks, I think that's what's going to be the impetus for political dissolution because right now what keeps states wanting to be part of the, the United States is the fact that every state receives way more in benefits than it pays in in terms of tax remittances, not in a nominal sense, but in terms of real purchasing power sense because that gap is made up by the $4 trillion deficit that the national government runs each year through the Federal Reserve and through treasury auctions and all of that. And all of that is made possible by the strength of the U.S. dollar. But when that inverts and the U.S. dollar loses its purchasing power parity to the rest of the world, the the force that is keeping the country together is going to act to repel the country and, and states and other entities are going to do so we're going to try to run from that debt as fast as they can. And so while I'm encouraged by this, I think realistically the one thing that still is holding the United States together is the power of the U.S. dollar. I think that's the last domino to fall. And when that happens, I think political dissolution will occur, uh, will be will inevitably occur. I think it is it is preferable to have that situation happen peacefully and not in a a...
0: A moment of crisis you think secession will follow the breaking of the dollar yeah i think that's the the safest prediction and so if texas were to secede what currency would they use (laughs) you can ask
1: malay and argentina they could still use the u.s dollar they could come up with their own currency they could use a basket of currencies uh there are a, a lot of different
0: potential options so there'd be a lot of adjustment, obviously, no matter, even if it went as smoothly as possible, there'd still be some, probably some pain and, and inconvenience and adjustment uh, for people of Texas if they were to secede. So what would be the benefits? It'd give me some tangible, everyday ways that the life of somebody in Texas would improve as a result of not being a part of the United States. Well, they stopped paying
1: federal income taxes immediately. They regain the ability to enforce immigration, laws within the boundaries of the state. Now, because the situation that currently exists is it's the purview of the federal government, and the federal government refuses to do anything about it. And so you have this song and dance about, uh, we saw a bunch of those uh, things proposed on the Texas GOP primary ballot about immigration enforcement, and all these things you hear about constantly that Nothing ever happens because the state doesn't have the ability to – there's no real enforcement mechanism
0: at the state level, um, but that would change. The Nobody t- would be able to stop the spikes from going into the Rio Grande River. And nothing would stop the Texas local law enforcement from enforcing immigration law, which is uh, – there's a law that's supposed to go into effect early in 2024 that's going to deputize – local law enforcement agencies in texas to be able to start enforcing immigration laws so that's soft secession there so why not just have hard
1: secession also there would be no more underwriting the american empire with with blood uh with texans going to fight in middle eastern wars that have or east central
0: asian wars that have nothing to do with the well-being of of texans my normie brain still tells me that this is, the idea of secession is literally incredible.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's what people would have said about the Soviet Union, the breakup of the Soviet Union in 1984, and then five years later, the Soviet Union is no more. And today it seems as crazy to talk about the reconstituting of the Soviet Union. In fact, that's a lot of the scare tactics about what Putin is allegedly trying to do, but obviously
0: is not doing because that normalcy bias kicks in pretty quickly. What about the assertion that if secession were to go forward, that tanks would roll into Texas from the federal government?
1: I don't think there's any stomach for people seeing Walmart's blowing up in, in Dallas, Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, I mean that, the, the objection the common objection would be not much different than what we see going on in Palestine now. It's like the IDF is, is showing Palestine is settling that dissolution dispute. Now And so the argument could be that the same thing would happen in Texas, but uh, I I don't think there's there's any stomach for it. I don't think there's any precedent for it. Brexit happened seven years ago, and the the, uh, EU didn't send tanks in to negate the democratically expressed will of British voters.
0: All right, well, what about the inevitable uh, rhetorical response to... Texas seceding. Texas was a member of the Confederacy and during the U.S. Civil War, and this is just a continuation of that same white supremacist ideology. Any sort of
1: right wing movement is categorized as white supremacy, whether it be homeschooling or working out or drinking milk or name any issue that's generally associated with right-wing or populism in the Western world that is not accused of being white supremacist, So it it just has to reject, we have to reject that framing of it. If you want to get into a rhetorical argument about it, well, that should be beneficial. So we're talking about selling the benefits of self-determination to people in red state America or blue state America. And so if Texas really is a bastion of white supremacy, then then having those white supremacists removed from the United States and allowing the minorities that are under that white supremacist society in Texas to leave and go to to a greener or at least less white pastures in other places should be something that everyone should support. If Texas independence happens, I'm leaving Eagleton and I'm becoming a, a Texas, because
0: God bless Texas with his own hands. Right, that's a wrap on the last episode of the Reality Taboo podcast for 2023. We'll see you in 2024. Happy New Year's, guys. Talk to you next time.